You're listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes, the podcast all about absolutely 100% true facts that are not made up. I'm your host Piper Dawes and with me as always is Christopher Parr, Director of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research. Hello Chris. Hello. Chris has gathered his favourite facts from the Institute's activity this week and he's going to share them with us today. So uh, what has the Institute been up to this week, Chris? Just uh, beavering away, you know, dams and large incisors and all that. Because uh, uh, we do have um, a busy few weeks ahead of us, what with our Halloween and Donald Trump specials coming up. Oh, I'm very excited. That's good. That's good. Unfortunately, this week is going to be a completely normal episode, but they are still fantastically special facts nonetheless. Um, so shall we, uh, shall we crack on? Uh, yes, why don't we? So let's start with our first fact of the show. What's this one, Chris? Ants have discos. Already, from the first words of that, I'm already brimming with excitement. <laughs> Ants are known for their strange ways of socialising and communicating. Most ant languages involve vomiting chemicals into one another's mouths. Some ants have been known to contract uh, something called cordyceps, which is a brain-controlling fungus which turns the ant into a zombie, controlling its movements. But this sounds like a new phenomenon. Dancing ants? Tell us more, Chris. So I should point out that not all ants have discos. This is a particular species of uh, what is known as fungus-growing ants. A number of ant species uh, basically farm uh, fungus for their food, cultivate leaves and vegetation as compost in which to grow their fungal food. This is the species Atta rodgerus, native to the southern United States. They grow a specific species of fungus which requires sunlight to reproduce. So they create holes in the roof of their farming chambers, which creates a series of sort of spotlights throughout the colony. Okay, so when you say disco, you mean like it's an aesthetic thing? It's like like a light show then, really? Um, a light show and um, an actual disco dancing culture. The fungus that Atta Rodgeris cultivates is mildly psychotropic. So for a few hours after ingesting it, the ants are compelled to stumble and jerk through the spotlights of their quality in a manner that could generously be described as dancing. So this is like a, a reaction to the psychotropic effects of the, of the fungus. They're not actually dancing to like music or anything. No, although interestingly, individual ants under the influence of the fungus will imitate the movements of other ants. And so they can form large scale dance numbers throughout the colony. Beautiful. Love that. Love that. But they're not actually dancing to any real music then. Not under usual circumstances, no. But entomologists uh, studying Atta Rodgeris have found that actual music uh, can intensify the ants dancing. Researchers have placed uh, speakers face down on the ground above these ants' colonies and observed the ants' performances shifting with the music. Okay, so they'd get sort of speakers and put them in a way that the, 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 the ants can like feel the vibrations and things, and then they start, what, boogieing, having a bit of a dance contest sort of thing. Yeah, um, pleasingly, disco music does seem to have the most profound effects on the ants. Oh, I love that. That's great. That's great. I mean, this sounds already sounds like a very weird uh, psychedelic um, uh, 1970s musical. But I mean, I'm 
guessing they've tried other genres? Have they? Have they? Have, have, oh, you know what I'm going to ask, Chris. Have they? Have they? Do they dance to Scar as well? Uh, they did try pumping Scar through the ant colonies. Within literally seconds, the ants were drooling, stumbling about, um, completely forgetting how to perform normal ant functions. Like basically, they were turned into imbeciles. Yes, well, obviously that makes perfect sense given your previous research. <laughs> um, I should also point out that uh, tracks by American rock band Alien Ant Farm appear to have little to no effect on the ants. Do we think that's ironic or is it just because Alien Ant Farm is terrible music? Well, Scar has an effect, so I'd rule out terrible music as a, a reason there. Fair. So I know that they're sort of stumbling around and things, but they actually um, have more intense dance moves when you actually include music in the equation. What sort of dance moves do these ants bust out then? It usually begins with some kind of mindless, monotonous stamping with all the ants stood in place and copying each other. Uh, but there's sometimes um, a humorously individualistic ant, perhaps with an anxious New York accent, and might start extemporizing his own moves, uh, shimming around and bumping his abdomen against a lady ant in a disturbingly provocative manner or something like that. I think I've been to this club. <laughs> so uh, what would, just theoretically... Um... It sounds like these ants are having a great time. So what would happen if humans were to ingest this particular uh, psychotropic fungus? Well, it is very mildly psychotropic. So a human would need to eat approximately their own body weight for it to have any kind of effect on them. Right. Okay. 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 I mean, that does sound like a challenge, but... (laughs) However, um, if you did manage to eat your own body weight of this fungus... Um, it certainly would have an effect on you. That effect being your stomach rupturing and you dying. No, um, no discos then. And uh, not unless somebody did a, a weekend at Bernie's on you. Yeah, fair. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but it would be it would be incidental to the ingestion of the fungus. <laughs> it would, <laughs> unless there was like thousands of thousands of ants working together under the effect of this fungus like <laughs> somehow working together to manipulate your body to disco dance while your entrails spill out of your ruptured abdomen so you're saying there's a chance um the the really tiniest teeniest slimmest almost ant-sized chance <laughs> So this is this is basically the effect of a, a, a psychotropic fungus, like a, a drug on the ants, making them um, move as if they're dancing, and, and and then the music sort of intensifies that effect. Is this is the uh, ants alone in, in in doing this, or are there um, any other examples of, of of dancing insects, Chris? Well, it's well known that bees dance to tell other bees where the best flowers are. That's true. It's less well known that wasps dance to tell other wasps where the best picnics and barbecues are and who at those picnics and barbecues are most likely to go, oh, there's a wasp, oh, get away from me, oh no, it's a wasp, help. That's me, that's me, I do that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I literally do. <laughs> do you know the really annoying thing about it is though, like um, I um, consciously absolutely know that if I flail, the wasps will... St- 
be more likely to sting me because it's afraid. See, that's why they victimise you. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, that, that feels like entrapment then, Chris. They're all, they're all dancing around. They're all, like, wiggling their little abdomens, going, oh, that girl over there, she'll swat us if we can ram our sharp arses in her. So what you're saying is the wasps actually victimise the people that they know will give them plausible deniability for attacking them. Uh, Are they lawyers? like, <laughs> Or like mastermind criminals? I mean, if you want to believe that wasps are criminal masterminds, then <laughs> go ahead. If that helps you sleep at night. It doesn't. It makes me feel worse because <laughs> then I've got like a, a race of hyper-intelligent wasps to deal with in my, re- in my day-to-day life. So, <laughs> so no, I wouldn't sleep well at night. I'd probably have a less... Less good night's sleep, to be honest. Um, <laughs> any other examples of, uh, of, of of dancing insects, Chris? Um, there are a number of uh, caterpillar species uh, which perform charming little dances, wiggling their furry little bodies around on leaves and blades of grass. Aww. It's all very cute until you realise that they're not actually dancing. They're writhing in agony because they're having their insides devoured by wasp lava. Oh, <laughs> I don't like wasps, Chris. Like on balance, like they, you know, even if they don't want to sting you, they're not very nice, are they? They're like a twat with a shotgun. Well, you know, yeah. But I suppose, like when you think about it, it's not their fault because if you prescribe to evolution, then they've just evolved that way. And if you believe God made them, then it means it's God's fault. I suppose that's true. But like, what about an actual twat with a shotgun? Neither of those things could be applied to them. Well, no, but that's because the twat with the shotgun, the human twat with a shotgun, has a choice, presumably. Uh, the wasp doesn't. Yeah, because they, they are driving on their pure, purely animalistic uh, evolutionary brain rather than conscious thought. It's just it's just what they're programmed to do. Okay, yeah, fine. All right. Well, I feel less bad about them now. Like, <laughs> if I get stung, I'll know it was for a good reason. Because <laughs> <laughs> God's a twat. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Going back to discos for one moment, Chris, because um, got, you've got me very excited by the, this this prospect of uh, tiny little ants doing little disco dances. It's made me wonder if you, if you like going to discos. Um, do you do you like do you like do you like going out on a Saturday night when you're allowed to, Chris, outside of the pandemic? Oh yeah, I love discos, mate. I love discos so much. I'm always busting a movement down at the local discotheque to a a banger. <laughs> Because I'm such a fun-loving guy who really enjoys spending as much time as possible around other people in cramped, loud environments. Mmm, yes, discos. Yum, yum. Yes, please. Okay, that brings us on to our second fact. Um, What have we got here, Chris? Uh, There was a third Wright brother. So, uh, the Wright brothers, uh, pioneers of aviation invented and flew the first ever aeroplane in the early 1900s uh, but typically we know them to be a pair of brothers who's this uh, third one then chris um yeah so um, as you say uh, when we think of the wright brothers we think of um, orville and wilbur uh, but um, they were actually only two of seven siblings the youngest of which was herbert wright who could technically be considered the third of the aviation pioneers though he actually had very little to do with the invention of the aeroplane. So there were, there were, there were quite a few brothers, but then there were siblings, sorry. And, the, and, and, but like, 
um, this 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 Herbert Wright that you're talking of actually had could have been attributed to having something to do with the invention of the aeroplane, although it was very little. Is that is that what we're saying here? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Herbert uh, was a teenager in the the first years of the twentieth century when his um, older brothers were building aircraft. And he was, by all accounts, a rather bookish boy uh, with no real interest in physical or mechanical pursuits. And his real passion was writing. He was an aspiring author, really. Oh, so he wasn't actually into flying at all then? Uh, No, it was Milton Wright, uh, the Wright's father. Um, He was rather old-fashioned, although I suppose, like, not for the time, really. So I suppose he was just fashioned. Um, and he thought that writing wasn't a suitable vocation for a young man. So he insisted that Herbert assist his brothers with the invention of powered flight, uh, something that Herbert did grudgingly, presumably with much moping and sighing and arm swinging. So so his dad didn't want him to be a writer then? What's wrong with being a writer? I mean, surely he could have, I don't know, like documented the Wright brothers' ascent. No, no pun intended. He was more of a, a fiction writer than a, a a memoirist. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, I mean, there's, there's still nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously we don't deal in fiction, but there's nothing wrong with writing um, things that aren't true. That's fine. That's fine if he wanted to do that. Like, what did his what did his dad have against it? Against writing. Hmm. Well, he didn't think it was a, a suitable vocation for a young man. Like, young men should be. Uh, physical and virile and, you know, running and jumping and cutting wood and changing the history of transportation. Yeah. <laughs> I must have been horrible for him living in his brother's shadow. Like, that that, that must have been awful. So what actually happened with Herbert then? Well, it's an interesting historical fact, although I don't know why I've specified fact there. I mean, all of this is fact, obviously. Um, but... Um, <laughs> Um, it's an interesting thing that um, that Milton uh, forbade Orville and Wilbur from flying together for fear of losing both of his favourite sons. But he didn't extend this interdiction to Herbert, as he insisted his youngest son um, always accompany Orville or Wilbur on their test flights, um, apparently to quote-unquote man him up. Although also it might have been because... If the worst did happen, no more disappointing son. Ooh, that's um, that's taken a turn. Well, it's a well-known fact that in the late 19th and early 20th century, fathers were real shits. <laughs> so did uh, did like Herbert Herbert Wright? Did he carry on his his writing career even though like his father didn't like it? Uh, so. Um, There are some 30 novels and over 200 short stories attributed to Herbert Wright. Um, Absolutely none of them have been published. Right. Okay. Wow. So so he wasn't very good then. They were essentially early examples of fan fiction. So he he was essentially a bit bit of a crap writer. So writing fan fiction, he didn't really want to do aeroplane stuff he wanted to be like a writer do we reckon like just as an aside chris before we go on any further i've got to bring this up because my brain's doing a thing do you think maybe it was like nominative determinism do you think if it was the fly brothers he would have wanted to do what his brothers were doing 
I mean, if you're going to invoke nominative determinism, then surely all the Wright brothers would have been writers. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe he's the only one that it affected. The other <laughs> ones were, the, were actually the re- rebellious ones, and they should have been writers all along, and he was the right one, the right right. <laughs> so he was the right right who writes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Like, let's throw that theory out. That's rubbish, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I had to talk through it, though, because uh, my, my, my head wouldn't let me stop thinking about it. <laughs> so this shitty fan fiction that he was writing, well, I assume it was shitty, um, considering it never got published. Can we hear any of it? I do have a passage. So Herbert would write uh, stories placing himself in the worlds of his favourite characters and writers. Uh, like like Sherlock Holmes, H.D. Wells, uh, Medgar Allan Poe, uh, Jules Verne, etc. So the passage I've got here is from a story called The Mysterious Case of the Man Who Was Dead for Some Reason, a Sherlock Holmes and Herbert Wright adventure. And I should point out, I'm ahead of reading it, uh, this passage has undergone a little editing uh, because Herbert Wright might not have been an aviation pioneer, but the plethora of spelling and grammar mistakes certainly makes him a pioneer in fan fiction. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, okay, so here we go from the mysterious case of the man who was dead for some reason. My God, Sherlock Holmes ejaculated. How did you know your father was the murderer? Elementary, my dear Holmes, smiled Herbert. He has blood on his hands, which is the same blood as from the body of the man who is dead, which I know because they are both red. And the man who is dead was murdered with a knife, which you can see from the knife marks. And I know that my father has a knife because he uses it to cut things like meat and other things. And also he is a bit of a shit, isn't he? Why, yes, he is, agreed Sherlock Holmes, nodding in agreement at how much dad is a shit. But none of this detracts from the fact that the man who is dead is still dead. Perhaps I can help with that, gentleman, said a figure who had just stepped out of some shadow. H.G. Wells, Herbert and Sherlock Holmes both shouted. (laughs) Yes, I am H.G. Wells, said H.G. Wells, who was the figure who had stepped out of some shadow, in case you hadn't realised. And we can use my Tim machine to stop Herbert's dad from killing the man who is dead. Thanks, H.G. Wells, shouted Herbert and Sherlock Holmes. Herbert Wright and Sherlock Holmes and H.G. Wells went back in time to stop Herbert's dad from killing the man who was dead, who wouldn't be dead anymore now. (laughs) Wow, that was just masterful. (laughs) (laughs) And you're right, it does have that same pattern. Like, I I think, I think this is... Is this, is this the earliest form of fan fiction that we know of, do you think? In terms of a person essentially Mary Suing, we think so. Uh, there are examples of people like carrying on another author's work in the past. Mm. But this does seem to be the first example of, or at least the first known example, of somebody writing themselves into another author's fiction and also doing it in a humorously incompetent manner i like it i think it's great i mean obviously it's not his forte and 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 maybe he should have manned up and gone 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 and followed in his brother's footsteps properly and actually become 
uh, a flying person. But you know, you can't you can't blame the fella for trying. He's had a good go, even if it is shit. You've got to have you've got to have ambition, haven't you, Chris? Did you always want to be do what you're doing? You know, be a director of an institute for totally real research, or did you have other ambitions when you were younger? I went through phases when I was a kid. At various points, I wanted to be um, an archaeologist, although I lost interest in that when I learned that archaeologists, as a rule, don't usually fight Nazis. <laughs> I wanted to be a, a paleontologist, an astronomer, a ghostbuster, a Pokemon master. What's great about being director of the Munchausen Institute, though, is that it allows me to kind of dip my toes into all of those things. All of them? Um, yeah, although I haven't gotten to fight Nazis yet. I mean, what you've done there is you've implied that you have been able to become a Pokemon master at some point. Well, we do have an annual Pokemon tournament. Really? Um, at the Institute, uh, which I have won three years running with my team comprised entirely of level 100 side-ups. Okay, so that brings us on to our third fact. Uh, what have we got here, Chris? Toronto is home to the Museum, Museum, Museum. Okay. So... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what exactly is a Museum, Museum, Museum? <laughs> There are a surprising number of museum museums around the world. And the Museum 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 is a museum about these museum museums. Oh, OK. Right. OK. OK. Fine. So so it's a museum about museum museums. Fine. What's a museum museum? There's a few different types of uh, museum museums. Some uh, museum museums are really just like information centres for a particular city's museums. Uh, but some uh, museum museums are about the history of the museum, which stretches back several thousand years. So the Museum 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 is about all of these different types of museum museums. Oh, cool. OK, so it's like an all-round learning experience. That's fun. Uh, yes, yeah, so the Museum 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 in Toronto... Um, houses exhibits on the history of the Museum Museum, which itself stretches back literally tens of years. <clears throat> Important personages in the world of museum museums are like uh, Justin O'Hannity, uh, the founder of the first Museum Museum in London, and uh, Claire Danson, the first and only female curator of a museum museum. It's a real boys' club, the world of museum museums. Right, yeah. Well, that sounds like... Uh... Fun time for all the family, I think, um, going to a museum, museum, museum. You know, because who doesn't want to learn about all the museum museums in the world? So you can, you can learn about the, the, the history of the museum, museum, people that work there and like, you know, the best ones that there are, the best museum museums around. Like, so, so just theoretically then, what, what are the best museum museums? Uh, the Berlin Museum Museum is a great introduction to that city's uh, wealth of museums. And uh, the Tokyo Museum Museum is a, a real highlight. It's a lightning fast tour of the city's best museums for the tourist on a hurry. Cool. Yeah. So if you really want to learn about museums in a in a museum, then that's the museum museum to go to. Yeah. Many people film their 
five minute trip through the Tokyo Museum Museum and then play it back in slow motion later to get the full effect. So they do it at high speed? You basically just run through the museum in five minutes. Are they going for another record? They love this in Tokyo, don't they? Like doing everything really, really quickly. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, um, it's the world's fastest museum tour. Wow. Not just museum, museum tour, but, but the fastest museum tour. Oh, wow. That's very cool. So let's just get a picture of how uh, the museum, museum, museum works. If you go to the museum, 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 how does it display its exhibits on museum, museums? Is it like a normal building you just walk around or is it like more more exciting, more dramatic? Like, you know, like like the Yorvik Centre in York where you get ferried around the premises in a sort of electric railway while a distorted voiceover above your head describes the history of the exhibits and stuff. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but that, that's... A oh, I've that. been to the Yorvik Centre, yeah. It's fucking brilliant. I love it, right? <laughs> and I want it to be a bit like that. I want all museums to be like that, let alone museum, museum, museums, just museums. Well, the museum, museum, museum is actually just a single room. Oh. But it's a room with a, a twist. Visitors stand on a sort of conveyor belt, which moves through the room and then loops back through it several times. And on each pass, the exhibits in the room are expanded or added to to reflect the recursive nature of museum museums and indeed the museum, museum, museum. Wow, wow, that's really clever. No, I really like that. And the final pass through the room is the gift shop, where it's revealed that every aspect of the exhibit is in fact a cheap piece of tat available for purchase, like pencil sharpeners and erasers and key rings. <laughs> and perhaps as a statement on the commodifying effects of the museum, in which items of historical and cultural significance are transformed into objects to be gawked at and exchanged, or maybe just a way to make a bit of extra cash. Oh, I love that. That's good. That's good. Um... So, so this really gives you a, almost an interactive experience of, 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 of the very nature of museums and not only museums, but museum museums as well. So is the museum, 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 is it pioneering in this sense? Is it the only, the one in Toronto, is it the only museum, museum, museum? Uh, currently, the <clears throat> uh, Toronto Museum, Museum, Museum is the only museum, museum, museum. Uh, the Institute is looking into founding its own Museum, museum, museum. Uh, not to like horn in on the museum, museum, museum's territory, but because if enough museum, museum, museums are set up, maybe the day will come when the museum, museum, museum generates enough cultural cachet that somebody will be compelled to found a museum, 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 museum. Well, that, that's... Uh... Amazing, obviously. And obviously now I want to go to the museum, museum, museum. And um, I, I, if, the, if the Institute manages to create another museum, 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 then I wish you all the luck in the world with generating another genre of recursive museum in the museum, 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 museum. Um, so are there any other recursively titled organisations, maybe like a kiosk kiosk or a factory factory? Well, everybody knows about the award awards, the awards for awards. Yes. There are a number of uh, shop shops uh, which sell uh, ready-made premises for shops. Um, and the popularity and profitability of shop shops 
um, has led to the opening of a couple of shop, shop, shops. It remains to be seen if uh, shop, shop, shops will become popular enough to need a shop, 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 shop. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I'd go, obviously. They'd get all my money. <laughs> and there are at least four club clubs. Uh, there's the club for fans of the simple blunt weapon. Uh, the club for those who enjoy futilely trying to be heard over loud bass-heavy music in a dark space with lots of other people futilely trying to be heard over loud bass-heavy music. The club for people who like are getting together with other people with similar interests. <laughs> and there's the club for those who like a lot of chocolate on their biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> and there is also the club 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 for people who are members of all four club clubs wow now 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 you're talking my language like this is like inferring the collector part of my brain like i want to do that now i want to be part of all the club clubs so i can be in the club 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 do you want to join me chris should we should we be um should we be members of the club 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 together um i don't like like clubbing so I'm not really sure I could like get behind all four of them. Would it not it'd be worth it just just so you could say you're in the club club club? So pretend to like clubbing so that I can then combine it with my love of blunt striking instruments, uh, societies of similar interests and uh, lunchtime biscuits. Yes, exactly, exactly. You could be like uh, infiltrating the... Uh... Uh, the club club so you can become part of the club 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 um I, I mean you know in this similar way to the museum 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 um uh, maybe the uh, may, maybe it might be a venture that the institute would ha- be happy to fund um because that would potentially mean that you could develop the first club 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 and what would the club 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 be uh, it'd be the uh, club for people who uh no for, a club for clubs who Ooh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, for for a club for clubs for the various collective groups of people who have joined the clubs that nope <laughs> no I don't know <laughs> I'm done I'm sweating and this is horrible <laughs> I'm not enjoying this fact <laughs> Well, it's over now, so... So, with that, we are on to our fourth and final fact of the show. What have we got for this one, Chris? Several attempts have been made to rebrand asbestos. Wait, they're still trying to... It's not actually been banned? I thought, like, asbestos is really dangerous. How come it's still... They're still trying to rebrand it? So the health dangers of asbestos have been known since the um, like the early 1900s, and many countries have um, outright banned the substance. Hmm. Um, the United States, however, oh. um, have never actually banned asbestos, uh, largely due to the lobbying of the Asbestos Association of America. Right, so it's a money thing. Yeah, um, as well... Um, as political lobbying, uh, the AAA 
has also been responsible for a number of pro-asbestos advertising campaigns over the years, which have uh, downplayed or even completely denied uh, the health dangers of asbestos while emphasising its usefulness as a construction material. Okay, so they've been they've been they've been lobbying it for a while, but they're, they're, then they then they've actually started trying to. Oh no, I can't I can't imagine what those advertising campaigns would have been like. So they've they're, yeah they've been downplaying the health health implications and actually sort of putting complete falsehoods out on with these television adverts. Then are they, are they like on on or on the radio or like? I'm all all sorts of television, print, radio, billboards. They uh, used a variety of slogans, uh, usually a play on asbestos, with the B-E-S-T in asbestos uh, capitalised so that the word best is highlighted. Oh, right. So because the word asbestos has the word best in it, they would actually use that word as the emphasis of the word to create a sort of positive uh, spin on the word asbestos because best is a good word in our vocabulary but asbestos is currently not so they've they've taken that middle part of that word very cleverly i think and uh, suggested that asbestos is best by capitalizing the middle of the word asbestos which coincidentally has the letters b e s t which spells as we know best uh yes uh thank you for explaining that for our listener piper that's okay so, um, uh, so as an example, um, one slogan was "Asbestos is the as best us," with the "best" capitalized in the second "asbestos," because otherwise it would just say "Asbestos is asbestos," and we've had enough recursiveness for one episode. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay, so they had radio campaigns, they had TV advertising, they had billboards. So it sounds like they were going pretty hard with this this agenda, and it really is an agenda considering it's complete bollocks and actually it's just a danger to everyone's health. What other media did they use to, to push this? Their most um, high-profile stunt to date was um, a single that was released in the mid-90s to promote asbestos. A what like a, a like a like a a, mu- a musical release, a musical ditty. Yes. Oh God. <laughs> okay. All right. Um. I obviously I actually want to hear that. <laughs> you can probably easily imagine what it would sound like because it was a cover of the best, the song by uh, Bonnie Tyler and popularized by Tina Turner with altered lyrics. Wonderful. Uh, so the um, the chorus went, "You're simply the asbestos, better than all the asrestos." <laughs> was there a music video that went with this at all? Um, there was. Um, it was largely um, a I mean, recreation of the Tina Turner video, just with an animated piece of asbestos rather than Tina Turner. I'm surprised they didn't go down the route of like like a singing wall of pure asbestos and people people being in the vicinity of it and not getting sick because maybe that's a, a little too on the nose i think maybe some of the advertised executives might have cottoned on to that yeah <laughs> oh well that's wonderful i i love that that exists and also also ambivalently completely despise the fact that that's a real thing in our reality uh, but thank you for turning us on to that 
One um, music critic did say that the song was um, almost as painful to listen to as it is to breathe asbestos. (laughs) So there are a lot of companies that have actually managed to go through this process that asbestos are trying to do um, and actually completely rebranded. Some some in the case of actually changing their name and things like that after uh, bad press or incidents. Um, Are there any the listener might not be aware of? A Kentucky Fried Chicken um, officially changed their name to just KFC after it was revealed that uh, due to the prodigious use of genetic engineering by their suppliers, what they sold in their restaurants can't legally be called chicken. Oh, right. Okay, so it's Kentucky Fried something, so they had to just be called KFC. (laughs) The the rumours are that it's just kind of big lumps of breasts and wings that's terrifying chris yep um i i hesitate to ask are are there any others uh yeah um between their loss of the general election in 1997 and their victory in 2010 uh the british conservative party uh, rebranded themselves from an explicitly racist and poor hating political party into an implicitly racist and poor-hating political party. Do you think they successfully managed that? Do you think that uh, that, that now we think that they aren't racist? Um, I think they almost succeeded for a while, but then slowly, slowly, their old ways crept back in, and now we've got Boris Bumboy's letterbox, Piccadilly's Johnson. What do you think gave the game away then? I think it was basically Boris Johnson's big, stupid, racist mouth. (laughs) <laughs> well at least at least at least the uh voting public will now see them for what they are and not a single one of us will bring ourselves to uh vote for uh racism obviously because i mean who would that's 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 just not something that would happen at least they're being upfront again like like they were in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s and the 60s all time <laughs> before that <laughs> Moving on to another uh, company that has rebranded itself. This might surprise you, Piper, but the Institute hasn't always had the best reputation. Are you sure you want to admit this on air? Um, Well, we used to be the laughingstock of the academic community. And while we still are, under the expert directorship of a certain devilishly handsome polymath, the Munchausen Institute has won an award and created a barely successful podcast. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well done, us. <laughs> or you. It's still not really clear <laughs> if I'm even related. Um, <laughs> good job, good job. So speaking of the Institute, I'm sure you have a physical building somewhere and, and, and this isn't just happening from... St- some bedroom somewhere <laughs> are there uh, is there is there any asbestos in the walls of the institute or are you uh, asbestos free <coughs> um, i don't think so <laughs> have you got covid chris uh no it's just um there's a lot of uh, fiber in the air here i'm not sure where that's come from <laughs> but no um, i think we are asbestos <coughs> are free down here. 
Okay, that's it. You've been listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes with me, Piper Doors. I can be found on Twitter at Piper Talks and Christopher Parr from the Munchausen Institute. I can be found on Twitter at Trilby Norton and the Institute can be found at Muin Photo Ray Ray. That is, of course, M-U-I-N-F-O-T-O-R-E-R-E. And you can contact the podcast on Twitter at C-Cubes. That's S-W-E-C-U-B-E-S. And Facebook and Instagram at Chickens Can't See Cubes. Okay, great. Well, thanks for listening to Chickens Can't See Cubes. And remember, you probably could make it up, but we haven't. Honest. And we'll catch you once again on next week's show. Goodbye. Bye. Okay, so that brings us on to our third fact. Uh, what have we got here, Chris? Toronto is home to the Museum, Museum, Museum. Okay. Well, can I just point out before you carry on that um, having now said that, I'm now realising how much you have to say the word museum for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a surprising number of museum museums around the world. And the Museum 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 is a museum about me. <laughs> oh, oh no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try that again. <laughs> oh no, I have a feeling this is going to be our undoing. <laughs> try again. <laughs> Just give me a, a bit. Oh, it's warm in here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so, um, there are... Su- so, there are a surprising... Stop laughing. I, I'm actually going to... I'm, I'm going to let you say it. I'm going to count to, like, 15 <laughs> without my headphones on, because I can't... Okay. Right, you carry on. I'm not, I'm not here, all right? Okay. There are a surprising number of uh, museum museums around the world. God, I can't. Piper. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm. I'm I've not done it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um. (laughs) Chris, I have, I have, I, I wonder. Maybe we should come. If we should come back to this, this. No, we have to do it now. Okay. okay. Right. There are, are a surprising number.